0: Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, where you'll get the latest trends in legal business initiatives that help you manage your law firm every day. Hear from the experts setting the standards for legal, insurance, compliance, and tools of the profession. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Here's the host of the Legal Toolkit, Jared Correa.
1: Welcome to another very special episode of the Legal Toolkit, and aren't they all very special? We're right here on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening today. I'm your host, Jared Correa. Just think of me as the Casey Kasem of law practice management. You'll do just fine. In addition to delivering on these podcasts each month, I'm also the senior law practice advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslowmap.org or like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash On the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. Before we start, I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Clio, for web-based practice management. To learn more, visit goclio.com. Today on Legal Toolkit, or whenever it is that you listen to the show, we're going to take a look at how law firms can benefit from using translation services. And we're very pleased to have on this episode George Rimmelauer, who's the founder and president of ISI Translations, Inc. ISI provides language and localization services to companies of all sizes in a variety of industries. George frequently writes about language issues, and his articles have appeared in the Huffington Post, American Banker, Communication World, and several other banking and healthcare publications, and he's got several decades in this industry. Uh, Welcome to the big show, George.
2: Good morning, Jared. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me.
1: It's our pleasure. So what does ISI stand for? It's super impressive?
2: (laughs) ISI... It stands for Interpreting Services International. We're we're a uh, language support company based in Southern California.
1: Gotcha. Weather's nicer in Southern California than it is in Massachusetts. I guarantee you that. (laughs) It's beautiful today. (laughs) (laughs) So, George, uh, tell me very basically, what are language services?
2: First of all, uh, Jared, language services come in different forms. There may be a need for interpreting services, for translation, or for localization services. In simple terms, uh, for a somewhat complex industry, language services are needed when two entities do not share a common language, thus making communication impossible. Of course, I'm speaking about the about different disciplines performed by professional linguists with very, very specific education, training, and skill sets. Um, I first mentioned interpreters as one of the group of experts. Uh, for purposes of definition, uh, interpreters work with the spoken word. They they bridge oral communication barriers in a number of environments and situations. Uh, For example, when a witness in a trial or a deposition or an arbitration does not speak English, an interpreter will will interpret the spoken words into the language understood by the other party. So interpreting is not only a skill used in the legal world, it is also used in meetings and conferences and summits and interviews and so Hmm. on and so forth. Mm -hmm. On on, on the other hand, you you have translation services, uh, which are a very, very different discipline, uh, which require a different set of linguistic skills and and educational backgrounds, because translators, unlike interpreters, work with a written word. Uh, Translators take content such as user manuals and websites and marketing or informational material and transcripts, and translate them from one language into another. Mm-hmm. So essentially they work with, with documents that are created to, to educate or to inform or to instruct or to sell. Uh, whatever the purpose or the objective of the document is, the, the, the translator's participation represents just one step in a process performed by, by a team of professionals. And then, and then finally, and, and I'm, I, hate, I'm not, I hope I'm not sounding too pedantic, but localization, which is an important part of the language industry, is the process of adapting a product or, or a service for a specific country or region. And, and that includes translation, but goes beyond it. it. It addresses issues of numeric and date representations and adapting to local measurement conventions, It adapts addresses and phone numbers and contact information. And it also adapts nuances, uh, such as uh, cultural nuances, a choice of colors, icons, or graphics. Mm -hmm. Uh, For for example, when we talk about numeric representations in the United States, if you have the number 1,035 and 22 cents, you would have a comma between the 1 and the 0, and, and the 0 and the 3 in 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 Latin America or in Europe the the comma is substituted su- substituted by the decimal point and the decimal point by the comma so it's important in the localization process to make sure that the numbers truly represent what the source document is intending it to represent
1: hmm. that's pretty fascinating you know i i haven't thought really a lot about the difference between uh, interpretation and translation and i doubt a lot of people have and when you start adding into the mixed uh, localizing services for dialects and regional differences, uh, it's a pretty fascinating topic. Thank and I'm you. sure Thank you could you. talk about it for days on end. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I,
2: I, I love what I do. I've been doing this for 32 years, and, and languages and culture have been my passion. And I've seen situations that could have been avoided so easily. We, we saw, uh, we translated a document that contained a warranty and it had an expiration of 4309. Now, in the United States, that represents April 3rd, 2009, correct?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, this document was going to Europe and the expiration date really was March 4th because of the numeric mm. representation.
1: I um, see that. Very important we, stuff you do. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, I, I guess I could ask whether John Kennedy, when he was in front of the Berlin Wall, actually uh, called himself a gently donut, but we'll leave that for another time. Ich bin ein Berliner. So let's bring this to uh, law firms. And so what circumstances would a law firm or in what circumstances would a law firm want to consider employing either the translation services or the interpretation services that you offer?
2: There may be instances when, when an attorney is advising a client mm-hmm. who, who wishes to expand a business by importing or exporting, and, and this will most likely involve assessing and evaluation a, I'm sorry, and, and evaluating international legal requirements and contracts and tax codes and other pertinent and impor- important information that is probably not available in English. Mm-hmm. So translating this material into English is a critical step. Uh, and the same holds true as, as the process progresses because there will be correspondence and meetings and market analysis, etc., that cannot take place when there's language incompatibility. And then you have attorneys who specialize in, specialize in labor law, for example, who yep. most likely advise, will advise uh, employers of, of companies with non-English speaking employees to translate their employee handbooks or their internal communication with staff. Their benefit plans into languages spoken at that particular locale, mm. or in the case of litigation when when a party does not speak read, write, or understand English, an interpreter will be required for depositions and medical exams and arbitrations and trials and other court appearances and and this holds true also during discovery uh, when documents often exist in other languages uh, attorneys have the need to understand these pertinent documents in order to map out their strategy. Yep. But what is what is really important in this, Jared, is, is not just identifying the need for translation and or interpreting services, but making sure that these services are provided by trained and accredited professional linguists. There are countless cases every year throughout the United States that are dismissed because the so-called translations were performed by non-credentialed individuals. Mm -hmm. A translated document, and and again, I apologize for being so verbose, but (laughs) a translated document presented to the court must contain an affidavit stating that the document has been professionally translated. Same holds true for unlicensed interpreters. We're required to give our certification number, very much like attorneys have to furnish the court with their bar number. Yep. Judges will stop the proceeding if the interpreter is not properly licensed, and, and the court may also throw out entire depositions and other if they learn the interpreter was not credentialed. So, as you can see, translation and interpreting services are not a, com- a commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in our case, we, we, we provide industrial strength language services to some of the largest companies in the U.S. because we take language issues very, very seriously.
1: That's a pretty good hook. Industrial strength language services. I like that. Um, So you're you're supposed to be verbose. This is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about marketing. So uh, is there a reason that law firms and lawyers should also consider translating their marketing material, including stuff they post on the web, into other languages?
2: Sure. I I mean, the first one that certainly comes to mind is expanding your market. Um, and And you know when we think in terms of expanding markets and translation we we automatically think international markets, which is certainly offers some tremendous opportunities but there 's also the domestic market because if you look at the united states we 're becoming increasingly more diverse and uh, in 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 many aspects, including the languages that people living in the United States read in and speak and write so um, I, I, I read a, a very interesting um, survey recently where 72.4% of consumers say they would be more likely to buy a product with information in their own language. Hmm. And and 56% of consumers say that the ability to obtain information in their own language is more important than price. And that's wow. in, during these difficult economic times.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So these these... Uh, translating material, material increases the efficiency within an organization, and it leads to better communication. So in addition to compliance regulation, because sometimes it, it is a compliance issue, as as also true in, in, in healthcare and in, in the financial industry and the legal uh, world, in addition to compliance regulation, translation is an effort for companies to be more responsive, and to operate more efficiently by communicating with people. So whether we find ourselves in the East Coast or the West Coast, in the northern part of the U.S. or in the South, it's not unusual to hear people converse in languages other than English. All of these people, regardless of their language of preference, are consumers.
1: I think that's a great point that you make, um, the ability to uh, address information in different languages, because not everybody in the United States speaks English as a primary language. I think most people just assume English language marketing is what they need to do. But a uh, very good point. And you provide services for that, I would imagine, as well. Oh, absolutely. Marketing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love re- uh, reading uh, surveys, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm one of these very boring people that does that. But 85, 85% of consumers surveyed in, in this particular su- survey said that having pre-purchase information in their own language is a critical factor in buying insurance and other financial services. Mm-hmm. And, and more than half of those surveys said that they buy only websites where the information is presented in their own language. Now, if you just look at the Hispanic group alone, uh, their purchasing power in the United States is expected to reach $1.2 trillion. That's, a, that's an enormous amount. Mm-hmm. And, and And you add to that... The, the 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 chinese speaking population um mm-hmm. by 2015 uh, according to this study that i read china will reach an internet population of more than 700 million almost double the combined number from japan and the us making chinese the number one language spoken by online users hmm. can't we we can't ignore those numbers
1: that's that's pretty good uh, so you are officially now to my mind, the king of surveys and globalization. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the technology here. Now, there are free and cheap online translation services out there, which I'm sure you know of. Google offers one, for example, yes. prominently. Um, why wouldn't a law firm just use something like an online translator versus using your service? Well,
2: first of all, I think what Google has done is wonderful and and technology is great. But when we speak about Communication, um, for, for communication to be successful uh, in a cross-cultural platform, that requires a human touch. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's not overlook the, look at the fact that when we're bridging linguistic ba- barriers, we're also overcoming cultural barriers. Google Translate is a statistical machine translation system, which means that it doesn't try to unpick or understand anything. Instead of taking a sentence to pieces, and then rebuilding it in the target language. Google Translate looks for familiar sentences in already translated text somewhere out there on the web. Hmm. And, and and having found the most likely existing match through an incredibly clever and speedy statistical uh, reckoning device, Google coughs it up raw or, if necessary, lightly cooked.
0: Yeah. And that's
2: how it <laughs> simulates, but only simulates what we suppose goes on in a translator's head. Uh, mm-hmm. Machine translation sidesteps the linguist's uh, theoretical question of what language is and how it works in the human brain. In, in, in practice, languages are used to say the same thing over and over again. And and there are two important limitations that users of this or any other statistical machine translation system need to understand. Uh, the, the, the First of all, the, the target sentence supplied, supplied by and I hate to keep bringing up Google, it could be any machine translation, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it must not, never be mistaken for correct translation. Mm-hmm. Um, they only give you an expression consisting of the most probable equivalent phrases as computed by its analysis of an astronomically large set of paired sentences trawled from the web. Yeah. Um, in, in today's global business environment, the stakes are very high and... From ridiculous headlines to awkward or sloppy use of of local language, translation mistakes can be costly. They can be embarrassing, and, and they can be disastrous.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, and I think Google will do fine regardless of how we feel about their translation I, services. I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> of that.
2: I, you know, uh, Jared, I'm, I'm looking. I have my computer open, and I'm looking at a sample because I, I had I had a hunch that you're going to ask me a question about <laughs> <laughs> about machine translation, and and I'm looking at this. Imagine an image of a a, um, coffee pot, a a metal coffee pot, Mm -hmm. uh, which is manufactured outside the United States, in a a country where another language is used. And the documentation for this metal coffee pot has been translated, a machine translation, into English. And if I just may share with you a couple of things, as a lawyer, you'll love it. It says, blah, blah, the name of the machine, is made of an (laughs) aluminum alloy suitable for food use, and and right for the gas cooker. Uh, First time you use it, wash carefully only with water and make some coffee to throw away, T-R-O-W. But The (laughs) kicker in this one, in big bold letters and an explanation mark, it says caution. And then the words, do place this machine in the microwave. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great.
1: Yeah yeah that's that's great for all the uh personal injury attorneys out there <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a good point so there's uh there's significant uh issues uh for folks who don't translate correctly so let's let's get back to lawyers for a second. So what if lawyers are not navigating the translation and interpretation of language effectively? uh you talked about this a little bit before, but I'll let you expand somewhat What's at stake for those folks well a, a,
2: the first thing that comes to mind is cost. Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, I I can imagine um, if if you take a a proceeding such as a deposition where you have witnesses, you have to pay court reporters, interpreters, and and a number of other people that attend the deposition, a lot of time involved, a lot of preparation, and the interpreter that the particular law firm uses is just – they're bilingual secretary because they happen to speak both languages. Yeah. Um, and now you go through the, the whole process of the, of the deposition. Uh, a transcript is, is created. Um, you use that in preparation. The judge sees this. And through opposing counsel, the, the issue is raised. Well, what are the interpreter's credentials? And this individual who happens to be bilingual is not a credentialed linguist. Yeah. The court will throw it out. And you start all over again. You've gone through tremendous expenses. Um, I would guess that the lawyer would probably lose some credibility with her client, not to mention the credibility with the court. Yeah. That's one of the issues, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so we got some good stuff in the first half of the podcast here, but we're going to take a break now so we can hear more from our sponsor, Clio. And when we return, we'll talk more with uh, we'll talk more language, I should say, with George Rimmelauer. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now how long does it take to move to the cloud and is it a difficult process?
2: No, with most cloud computing providers moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a
1: legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pr- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process.
0: So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes,
1: and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to
0: get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's
2: g-o-c-l-i-o.com.
0: Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too.
1: All right. Welcome back to the second half of our internet radio program. Today I'm talking to George Rimmelauer, the founder and president of ISI, ISI Translations, Inc. So let's jump right back in here. Uh, George, uh, let's talk about technology a bit. Uh, would you tell me how technology comes into play as respects the translation process?
2: Sure. The, the translation process is, is most effective with a mix, mix of technology and, 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 and trained individuals. And, yeah. and we do automate part of the process um we use um what we call a we do not use machine translations we spoke spoke earlier of google uh, translate and and Babelfish and and yep. and, and similar, similar technology what we use are are uh translation memory tools uh which is essentially a a database of source documents in other words the if, if we're going from english into another language the the source document that is stored in a database and the translated, edited, reviewed, and proof document, corresponding document. And from that, this technology allows us to recycle previously translated phrases, paragraphs, and strings, not individual words, because if we were to use just individual words, that would compromise the integrity of the translation. But yep. previously translated strings, sentences, and paragraphs. Um, so that's that's one step that we take, and 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 that goes a long way towards ensuring that there is consistency in terminology. Um, that. The document reads as though it was translated by just one person and created by one pr- person rather than by a group of people. Yep. Now, we, we, we add to that um, the process of creating glossaries for each and every client. And the glossary is important because it allows us, again, that consistency and terminology. It gives us a greater understanding of the verbiage used for a specific client, especially when we translate into multiple languages. And in addition to that, we create style guides, and and the style guides are important because they tell us what the target audience's level of education is, whether our client wants us to to translate at a sixth grade level, fourth grade level, postgraduate level, or what have you. It also tells us how to handle acronyms. Uh, in healthcare, for example, the acronym HMO, as you can imagine, appears all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, HMO in Chinese or in Spanish or in Portuguese means very little. But how do we handle that? So in some cases, our clients want us to translate the meaning of that acronym and put the acronym in parentheses Following the translation, with some other clients, the style guides call for just using the acronym, regardless of whether the client understands that or not. Yep. So these are these are steps that are very important to make sure that the translated version uh, impacts the the uh, has a, has the right impact on on uh, the target audience as the writer had. Um, all of these processes save a lot of time. Uh, they're done by professional linguists. Our translations are not created by people who happen to be bilingual. Uh, most of our linguists hold a minimum of a master's degree, not just in linguistics or in translation, but also in the specialty in which they're working. So mm-hmm. a translator who translates healthcare documentation into Spanish is not the same translator that would translate uh, bioengineering uh, content into Spanish. Mm. So there are subject-specific experts who are linguists. Now, we, we don't just rely on, on the translator uh, any more than we would rely on just one person writing our content. After a translation is translated by a professional linguist, it goes to another linguist who, <clears throat> who is also a translator, but in this particular in, instance, will edit the document. They will do the linguistic and cultural fine-tuning of the document, mm-hmm. and they will make their changes, and there may be some negotiating back and forth with the translator over the intended meaning. And once both the translator and editor have agreed, the content goes to another review process and finally to a proofreader who dots the I's and crosses the T. So as you can see, it's a very, very labor intensive process, which is very transparent to the client mm-hmm. because all of that is managed by what we call the orchestra conductor, who's really a project manager who coordinates got you. dozens of people in the team.
1: So that human touch you talked about before using technology to a point. Absolutely. Um, so we got a couple minutes left here, George. So uh, now I'm looking for your practical tips here <laughs> as we end. Uh, what are then some practical tips to pave the way for accurate translations? Well, the
2: most important um, is what happens with the document in its inception and before even translation is thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the document, as it is written, has to be very, very clearly written, and it has to be reviewed. It needs to be edited before it's sent to a translator. Mm-hmm. Um, A missing comma or a misplaced punctuation will change the entire meaning of a sentence, correct? Yeah. In addition, we urge our clients to make sure that there isn't a lot of jargon, if you will. Uh, English is the language of marketeers, right?
0: Um,
1: (laughs) True. (laughs) We
2: we had one document that we translated uh, for the financial industry, and it was called Dollars and Cents. Well, you can, in terms of the, the obvious meaning, we think, think sense a C E N T S, but they, yeah. being that language is a, a English, language of market, marketeers, they changed that to S E N S E. Well, that became a bit of a challenge for us, right? Uh, because it's an expression that may not work in, in Tagalog or, or in, in Farsi or in Arabic or in Hebrew or in Chinese. So we had to go back to the client. Um, we also urge our clients to be very aware of the symbols and the gra- graphics that they use because uh, these symbols and graphics mean different things in different parts of the world. Um, the use of colors is also important. The fact that text expands, so if you have a thousand words in English and you need them translated into Vietnamese, those so thousand words may become 1,300 words and if you're only limited to three or four pages, that may become a challenge. Um, It's it's important that you look at your translation company, at your language support company, as a partner, and talk to them as these documents are being created so that when translation begins, you've covered the important issues that will keep the process moving rather than slowing it down While at the client's end, they're trying to find answers to the questions that should have been addressed at the very outset. So um, we also encourage our clients uh, to be careful with the use of holidays. um, You know, every day is the 4th of July. Well, that's great if you live in the United States, but it doesn't mean much. In Venezuela, right?
1: Yeah, I, I wish I, every day was the 4th of July. <laughs> I,
2: I do too. <laughs> Except this year it's on a Wednesday. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, George, so these are some great tips, and I also appreciate the information uh, elucidated for the rest of the podcast. But sadly, we've reached the end of yet another episode of the Legal Toolkit Uh, Remember, folks listening at home, that you can check out all of our shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So, George, uh, great information today, Uh, lots of useful points uh, to some things that I don't think lawyers think about too, too often. Uh, So, George Rimmelauer, thanks for taking the time to appear on the show. If any of our listeners want to find out more about you and ISI, uh, how would they go about doing so?
2: Uh, You can do that by uh, looking us up on the web at www.isitrans.com. Or you may call us at 818-753-9181.
1: Excellent. Uh, so call up George. Ask him all your translation questions. Uh, and don't forget to join us next time. When we'll be back on the Internet radio waves with another topic of interest right here on the Legal Toolkit.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to The Legal Toolkit. You can subscribe to the RSS feed and hear Jared every month right here on The Legal Talk Network.